Welcome to BSD Talk number 223. It's Wednesday, February 20, 2013. This episode is brought to you by RSH, the remote shell, which first appeared in 4.2 BSD, and it's a command you shouldn't be using anymore. All right, now on to the interview. Today on BSD Talk, we're speaking once again with Michael Dexter, and welcome back to the show, and we're going to be talking about Beehive tonight. Thank you. So, Beehive, you know, some people who have attended some conferences or seen on the web, uh, they may have picked up a little bit of information about Beehive, but I'd like to hear from you, um, your take on what Beehive is and and how it fits in with a lot of the stuff that you've been doing around, um, you know, like multiplicity and other things on the BSDs. Sure. Well, Beehive is a Type 2 hypervisor. I wouldn't get too hung up on the distinctions between the types because you'll see that that's blurring. For FreeBSD, it began life in the 8 series, perhaps even 7, but reared its head with the public in FreeBSD 9. And on, I believe, January 19th hit FreeBSD 10 current. So now is the time to sort of give it some attention and test it without too much pain and suffering. Indeed, I have been excited about multiplicity, as I prefer call it, on BSD platforms for quite some time. I was doing web hosting back in the 90s, and LAMP stacks were just coming online, and I never felt right about them. The fact that if you update your database, you'll probably break everything. If you update your language, be it PHP, you'll probably break everything. And to deploy such a thing would litter your file system with so many different components that it becomes somewhat inextricable from that system. So I discovered FreeBSD jails and thought, This is a good thing. I found myself putting them in disk images that would allow me to blow them away with one command. And that met my needs, but that also came during the FreeBSD 5 transition, which was a rather um, dramatic move forward and introduced some stability issues. So I've, I've pretty much been waiting for something like this because there have been some exciting multiplicity techniques on BSD for decades, but they've always fallen short for one reason or another. Jail is quite impressive and lightweight, but it's also become very complex. You can check my stuff on the web and some video recordings and such of my talks on what I've covered in the past. Now, with jails, you're sharing a single kernel, right? Correct. And with something like Beehive and and other hypervisors, each operating system is running its own instance of a kernel? Correct. A a jail is basically a super chroot. It's the chroot command given, shall we say, some self-awareness so that you can have an RC standard boot-up process that will launch daemons, although there is not an init process running, and it will distinguish its its processes from the rest on the host and give you a root user 
and distinguished networking. And there are quite a few opportunities there. And you, you may recall my interview with Marco Zetz about the virtual networking stack. And I think looking back, you'll see that such things are also quite ambitious. It's a very complex problem to establish a full networking suite that's virtualized enough to handle separate jails, perhaps a switching functionality, and the like. And just one comment on on jails that's not always obvious. I asked Paul Henning Kemp about how many one can support, because he he did some of the key development of that. And he says he wrote a little script to just keep launching them, and he got bored at 64,000 jails. So looking at the alternatives that are generally more heavyweight, jail definitely has its place, and it's a rather impressive tool. There are, at least within the BSDs, other options that have been around for a while. I know NetBSD has been supporting Zendom Zero for a while, and I think uh, VirtualBox is also available on the BSDs. What makes Beehive uh, something new that people are excited about? So briefly on Zen, um, you may recall Christoph's talk on Malt in Tokyo, and it occurred to him that he could port Malt to Zen without much effort just because it's a few drivers. So I ran out and and wanted to set up a Zen system. I failed on the most popular Linux distributions of the time and then dove into NetBSD. It was very poorly documented, but it worked extremely stably, and it really impressed me. Just it was a very pleasant surprise and sort of a best-kept secret over there. But it's a fundamentally different kernel. It is a fundamentally different license It's a second-class player in the Zen arena, although at least I think Amazon EC2 is bringing some attention to that, and Colin Percival has done some very good work keeping FreeBSD active there. But by comparison, Beehive is an in-kernel kernel module hypervisor that, in my rough calculation, was 1,300 lines of code for the primary module and 256k worth of actual software on disk, so it is extremely lightweight and, I'd argue, auditable by comparison, whereas Zen is sort of a lifestyle you need to commit yourself to. I think Beehive achieves some of that code simplicity because it does away with support for a lot of legacy stuff. It, It relies on newer hardware to handle some of that complexity. That is absolutely it. Now, I heard that I think it was Amazon went with Zen because they had such an investment in old hardware. This was before even the the VTX extensions. They were needing a solution that was fully in software so they could leverage that old hardware. Beehive, on the other hand, is completely legacy-free, and it requires the latest and greatest features, which are specifically extended page tables on currently only Intel processors, although AMD, like so many things, introduced the technology with nested page tables, and that should be implemented in time. It's this, there's nothing beyond developer resources keeping Beehive off of AMD processors. So by going legacy-free, it's extremely small. It fundamentally relies on Vert.io, which is a, a virtual uh, network and block device uh, drivers. And similarly, it in that lightweight approach can do, while it's quite experimental, it can do PCI device pass-through. So you you mask a device from the host system and pass it to the hypervisor, which I think is quite exciting and I really want to experiment more with. But it's it's clean and simple and does away with all the 
all the biosimulation you see in like uh, QEMU, and that's used in Zen from QEMU, and all this this sort of nice, colorful array of software. But that also means it's missing some of those features that are taken for granted. You can't just yet run out and run a guest OS. It simply, at this time, will only run FreeBSD on FreeBSD. But as I'll get to, that's a rather interesting proposition. Okay, so at this point, it's not something where you could use a FreeBSD box to host your server 2012 operating systems for Microsoft. Not yet, but people definitely want that. And what's interesting is that, bless their hearts, Microsoft is finally realizing that people actually want to virtualize things. And there's an article out there on how amazingly your Windows 2008 server can boot from its own container on disk, such that they have been very active with Vert IO drivers. I believe Red Hat has been contributing to Vert IO drivers for <clears throat> for KVM on Linux, which is basically the closest equivalent in the Linux world to Beehive. And the fact that all the players are you know taking this sort of modern approach is quite exciting, rather than the classic. Well, we need to replicate ancient hardware as accurately as we can because that that was the only way you could do these legacy operating systems. Right, right. So if if at this point somebody wanted to give Beehive a try, what hardware and what version of FreeBSD would you recommend? For hardware, do, do take a look at the <clears throat> beehive.org webpage that I've been maintaining. It goes into some of the basics of the extended page tables you want in the, the short answer is anything with an I in the name. So an Intel core I three, five, seven processor, but then a few variations that go surprisingly go by the name of Pentium and Celeron and Xeon. But the, the underlying core is I believe called Nehalem. So anything from Nehalem to Sandy Bridge to Ivy Bridge includes that, especially in Xeon processors. And Intel has finally updated arc.intel.com, their database, with extended page table support. It was absent before, and it was very difficult to find out if a processor had the feature. If you have a piece of hardware in front of you, you can look at your D message and look for pop, count, P-O-P-C-N-T, which is always accompanying extended page tables. It's a shame there's not a flag for strictly EPT, but such is life. And... With one of those newer machines, even if it's literally a, a under $300 laptop from your local office reseller, office product shop, be it Office Max, Office Depot and here in the U.S., uh, that will support it. It may not support FreeBSD for uh, features like suspend and resume. That's a different discussion, but it will fundamentally support it. Now, the absolute easiest way to run it is with any snapshot from... January 20th forward, those are now available in the FreeBSD mirrors and they're in a snapshots directory. So you'll want a FreeBSD 10 current snapshot. And Neil Natu has an instructions page that you will want to read. It's a simple text file. And he has a script. You can install that FreeBSD snapshot to the host system, whatever PC you can dedicate to, dedicate to it. You can download that script, download the image of your choice, which can be that very same image that you installed the host with, the script will look for the the ISO named, I believe, release.iso, and it will automatically create a 
a disk image called disk dev that's eight gigabytes in size, and it will, upon boot, kick you into the installer, and you'll have a completely normal FreeBSD installation process. That's great, and I wish I had that when I first started experimenting with Beehive, but it didn't exist. So what I was doing was breaking down the entire process, including the building of every component, and building them in Citus as individual components, like you would just make install for in, for any third-party software, dropping them into place, packaging them, which works under 9, but not 10, but sort of a moot point under 10. And the advantage of that is that with my approach, which I've documented at beehive.org, you have a number of scripts you can run to step through the entire process from creating a disk image and formatting it or formatting something like an iSCSI target and then populating it with the distribution of FreeBSD of your choice. All right. (laughs) So um, definitely some steps there. Is it anticipated that with the release of FreeBSD 10 that this will be, you know, all included? And is it considered stable enough, do you think, for inclusion in FreeBSD 10? I know it's in there in the sort of the experimental branch or, you know, the current branch? Well, it's quite the motivation for people to try it and work on it and improve it and test it. And it was, it's been a chicken and egg problem for the last two years where, well, the code is out there, but it's not yet you know, had the blessing of being official free BSD such that a lot of people would not bother trying it. So I've done my best to make it easy to try and, we absolutely need people to just go out there and pound on it. And everyone who tries it comes up with something that none of the developers ever considered or I considered. And that's just the nature of it, of trying to bootstrap a community. So just, I say, get out there and try it. And time will tell if it's ready. And, you know, that's strictly up to the the wonderful volunteers that make the community happen. And is Beehive aware of or... Are there some tricks to make it take special advantage of the ZFS file system? I'll just say no, because it is FreeBSD. Anything you can do in FreeBSD will generally work in Beehive. If you are a NanoBSD user land reduction fanatic, it is absolutely compatible with all those approaches you use. You can boot guests off of a a ZVOL image, and if you want to snapshot it from the the ZFS end, go for it. There's nothing stopping you. And that's that's one of the most remarkable things that's dawning on me about Beehive is that it's just it's, it's institutionalized across the board. It's not bolted on. It's not a separate kernel. That's where I was hinting at the fact that, you know, you can get into all these differences between type 2 and type 1 hypervisors. Well, if you only kick into, say, single user mode and run the hypervisor, well, it's a type 1. If it's if it has a useful user land, it's a type two. It's, it's like that's that's no longer an issue to get hung up on. So it is FreeBSD. And last week I needed to toy with something that's based on FreeBSD eight. And normally I would like reach for a two hundred dollar ThinkPad I got on Craigslist and just you know dedicate one and say okay, quick install it, whatever. But I found myself simply downloading the install distribution, which is now quite simple through scripts from last week and just getting to work. And I, I, it, I didn't even realize that I'm just diving into it, not even thinking of the fact that, oh, wow, this is an exciting new technology. No, uh, you may have read yesterday. Okay, I predict that a year from now or by year's end, 
most FreeBSD developers will be developing FreeBSD on Beehive. Doesn't matter if they're doing something on 8, 9, or 10, but as long as it's a, a recent, current, actually stable snapshot for 8 or 9, or current after January 19th, it will have all the necessary components, be it the VertIO drivers in 8 and 9 or the the kernel and vert OI drivers and the kernel module and vertio drivers in 10 and you just sit down and go to work and if your kernel breaks during whatever process you simply close that guest and relaunch it repopulate it go to your snapshot whatever just go to town yeah i think the folks at dragonfly bsd have had um, some kernel virtualization for a while and from what i understand they they really enjoy that method of development Absolutely. They've had the vKernel user land kernel, and there's also user mode Linux, which does that, but uh, that's a different form of Petri dish, whereas this is actually running on your hardware, and things like, like I mentioned, the, the hardware pass-through will give you, hopefully, even a more native experience. So are you aware of any, I guess, large installations or some um, performance testing of Beehive? How efficient is it at this point? There's the testing I've done. I do not know how it's being used behind the large, wonderful company that produced it. So uh, anecdotal test, I found myself just pounding on the keyboard and it responds like a native system. It's not like QEMU or something where you may find yourself waiting. There is currently blocking block device I.O., meaning that all device I.O., shall we say, storage communication is blocking and a bit slow. However, there is some experimental code out there that I've been testing that resolves that. That's less an issue on networking. But benchmarking is one of the number one things that people can do and find those corner cases and try things like D-Trace, which is quite exciting. Go for it, especially if you're experienced with those things. I'm learning them on sort of a need-to-know basis, which has been great because I've been ignoring them, and this is a great motivator. But I guarantee that any user will just come up with something the developers haven't thought of and I haven't thought of, and go for it. But keep in mind it's all very experimental, although for the testing I mentioned where I just needed a FreeBSD 8.3 system, it's proving very stable. And I think, you know, you've definitely made it very easy. I tried some of your earlier scripts. It was about a six-step script where, you know, you pressed one to first download the code from the repository. And then when that was done, it said, hey, press two to do the next step. And it just sort of walked you through it and uh, produced a compiled Beehive uh, kernel for you. So hopefully it, it is at least straightforward enough for someone with mild technical ability. That's where Neil's script is great. If you just, you know, if, if an 8-gig image and a... Uh, uh, installation to it will meet your needs, go for it. It's not as customized as you know I would need, but that's just fine. It's a great start. And if you have some app you want to throw at it, just go for it. It becomes a you know a, a FreeBSD system that happens to be running on FreeBSD. Well great. Well I mean thank you for all the work that you've done to try and make Beehive more accessible to people. And I guess we can just encourage people to go out and try it. If you've got the right hardware and you feel like running a slightly more updated version of FreeBSD, uh, see if you can break it. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure, and I know people are excited. It's just 
it probably means something different to every user. So let's just get those experiences out there. Please don't hesitate to contact me, and I can insulate the developers from certain things. And they've been very responsive on the FreeBSD virtualization mailing list. There is a Beehive, Pound Beehive IRC channel on Freenode, which was completely informal, but I believe Alan Jude, who uh, formalized that last week. I do want to do a small shout-out to Alan, who has the TechSnap podcast, which is remarkably BSD-friendly and remarkably level-headed. He has a, a rather intense... Well, he runs a CDN, so he's got a lot of traffic going by, and he's been throwing a little bit of that traffic at Beehive, and the moment he's got some more free time, he should really be able to pound on it. We have a gentleman in India who's been experimenting with it. <clears throat> the developers from, are from India and Australia. I'm a bit of a Euro mutt, so basically it would be great to have some Americans get on board. <laughs> um, Alfred Perlstein's been experimenting with it, which is quite exciting. I know he's, he's covered a lot of ground. So it's quite exciting, and it's getting out there. So I'll be at a few upcoming events. Next is Asia BSD Con. I'd love to talk to anyone about it there and give you a demo and help you set it up and maybe do some documentation hackathons. I hope to blast out some man pages soon. I will have a guide as part of my talk that should be a rather useful overview, sort of how-to type guide. But we need help. (laughs) All right. Well, hopefully getting the word out will bring some help your way. Super. Thank you. And keep up the good work, Will. All right. Thank I'll, you. You, know, you had some, some some events coming up. Yeah, I'll be in I'll be in Canada. Will you be there? Uh, let's see if my talk's accepted. All right. <laughs> a developer and I have both submitted talks. I've just had a kid, so I didn't even think to like coordinate with them, so mm. we shall see. All right. Um, otherwise, I'll, I'll hitchhike or get up there somehow. Oh, great. Well, Thanks again for taking some time for the interview, and I look forward to seeing further work. Super. Okay. Good to talk to you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. If you'd like to leave comments on the website or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. This has been BSD Talk number 223.